Welcome to Magnificat Proclaims, presented to you by Magnificat, a ministry to Catholic women. I'm Donna Ross, your host for today's program. We pray that today may be a special day in your life as you experience through the personal testimony of our featured guest, the presence of Jesus Christ among us. Amazing grace, how sweet the that saved a wretch like me. And it is God's amazing grace that brought us here today into this very room. And it is God's amazing grace that our, brought our speaker into our midst. She is married to orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Drew Allen Peterson. She is the proud mother of five beautiful children. She graduated magna cum laude from Creighton University, where she was selected Creighton University Woman of the Year, 1984. Her medical school training took place there as well. She has a quite impressive career, which includes being Flight Surgeon of the Year for the 3rd Marine Air Wing in 1982. She's been a staff dermatologist, as well as a dermatological surgeon, and also has engaged in private practice. She has spoken for the national conventions of the Marian Conference, the Pilgrim's Peace Conference, for Magnificat chapters as well as Legatus chapters. She has appeared on EWTN's The World Over, live with Raymond Arroyo. She testified in the Republican Senate caucus meeting on embryonic stem cell research in the state of Washington. And she has written an article on embryonic stem cell research, published in Women for Faith and Family. She was given the best of what the world has to offer then she was offered the best of what our Lord offers. And while she found this tugging at her heart would not stop, the lump in her throat would not go away, the tears in her own eyes would not cease, she knew it was time to make a choice. And so many of us who have been at the doctor's office lately have heard the words, okay, open wide and say, ah, well, this morning in the presence of our divine physician, we are being asked to open our hearts wide and to say, ah, please welcome our speaker, Dr. Cindy Peterson.
the reason I'm speaking to you is I wanted to share with you the gifts of the lives of my two daughters. I see those lives as gifts from God. And I tell people that all gifts are only gifts if they're accepted and they're received. And a true gift really should be shared with everyone. And that's what I'm going to do today. Their lives transformed my life. About several years ago, I was a completely different person. I was somebody who lived for the world. And I believed what the world told you. If you had everything the world could offer you, that you would be happy. And I had about everything the world could give me that I wanted. I had a wonderful husband. We had a good marriage. We still do. I had three beautiful boys, healthy. My house has been written up in Better Homes and Gardens. I'm driving a Mercedes. I've got a career. I'm a surgical dermatologist. I take skin cancers off people's faces, put them together with plastic surgery techniques. I see that fear in their face when you get that initial diagnosis. I hold their hands through it, remove the tumor, put them back together, and watch the relief in their face and say, look at you. You look great. Nothing bad happened to you and the cancer's gone. And that was really fulfilling for me. But deep inside, I lacked that deep, sustaining peace that I really, really wanted. And I looked at my life and I thought, I have everything. Why don't I have peace? I have temporary joy, but not a deep, sustaining, lasting peace that I craved. You know, it says in the book of Jeremiah, if you seek me, you will find me, if you seek me with all of your heart. And I think that he heard me crying out to him. I was searching for peace. I was searching for God. And he stepped into my life. And the way he stepped into my life is what I'll share with you. I was going through a bookstore looking for a baptismal gift for a friend's daughter. And a book literally grabbed my eyes. It kind of like jumped off the shelf at me. And so I picked up the book, and it was called Medjugorje, The Message. And I took that book home, and I read it from cover to cover. I devoured that book. And I knew in reading that book, that was the way God shed his grace on me, opened my heart. And I knew, without a doubt, Mary was real, Jesus was real, God is real. And they are so desperately trying to get our attention. And I felt like such a fool. Because when I was a child, I had a tremendous faith. I really did. I believed in God with everything. But then I went away to college, went away to medical school, spent nine years in the Navy, did some fellowship training, and basically I turned into a scientist. Black was black and white was white. And if you could prove it to me, I would believe it with my whole heart. But a concept to me, like God at that point in my life, it was intangible. I didn't fully grasp it with all my heart. Well, I read that book and I knew I had been such a fool. And I knew I desperately wanted to go to Medjugorje. At that point in my marriage, I did not have the courage to go to my husband. We didn't pray in our marriage. We didn't talk about God in our marriage. We'd go to church on Sundays, and that was it. And if we could get out of going to church on Sundays, that was even better. That's who I was, you know, because I'm a doctor. I'm busy. I'm doing things, you know. God knows. God will understand, right? Well, um, I knew that God existed, and I knew that I needed to pray. I literally hid myself in my closet in my house and prayed the rosary. I was terrified my husband would find me. My brother saw me reading the book. He asked if he could read it. He read it, called me three days later, and said, we've got to go. And I said, thank you, Mary. Thank you. You gave me the way to go. So I go to my husband, and I say, Drew, my brother, he wants to go to Medjugorje. It's this place where Mary's supposed to be appearing. He's a kook. i got to go with him. <laughs> Wasn't that nice of me? I blamed it all on him. But I got myself over there. And uh, Drew said, sure, you can go. I don't want to go, but you go. In the meantime... I have this thought that comes into my heart, and it, it just, just comes at me. You need to tell Jesus Christ that you love him. 
I didn't know where this was coming from. I'd be at work working on a patient. You need to tell Jesus Christ that you love him. I'd be at home with my kids. You need to tell Jesus Christ that you love him. And I would say to myself, no, I don't. I don't need to tell Jesus Christ that I love him. He's this all-knowing, all-powerful God. I don't have to say that. And I realized I couldn't say it because of my pride. My pride wouldn't let me say, Jesus, I need you with all of my heart. I can't do this on my own. And that's exactly what he's waiting for every one of us to say. Until we say that, he can't fully come into our lives. He can't fully act in our lives. We need to totally humble ourselves and say that we need him. We can't do it alone. And so I'm at the gym one day in Southern California, and I realize my shoe's untied. I'm down on one knee tying my shoe, and it comes at me. You need to tell Jesus Christ that you love him. And I said, fine. I'm totally beaten down now. I can't take it anymore because it's starting to wake me up at night even. I go, Jesus, I'm down here on one knee. I'm in the middle of a gym. It's not very reverent, but I don't know when I'm going to be at this place in my life again. So here it goes. I love you with everything that I have. I love you with my entire heart. I no longer want my will to be done in my life. I only want your will to be done and use me to bring other people to you. All of that poured out of my heart. And I got up and I thought, the relief I felt was immediate. I mean, peace just came into my life. And I thought, wow, it wasn't that hard. Why did I make it so hard? It was three months of him trying to get me to say that. And I finally said it. Two days later, I'm driving my kids to the wild animal park, and I don't think anything of it. I'm not thinking about God. I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just driving my car. I look out the side of my window to make sure there's no oncoming traffic coming as I'm turning. And what I saw has forever changed my life. I saw in the sky the face of Jesus Christ in over 200 clouds. He showed me his face. He gave me what I needed. He needed me to say I love him, and he gave me black and white proof, a scientist, that he existed. And I'll never doubt in the true presence of Christ ever again. I'm sure it only lasted about 30 seconds. To me, it seemed like eternity. I just stood there. I, I, he showed me with such detail, I can't tell you. I saw the pupils of his eyes, his crow's feet. He was smiling. I saw uh, a twinkle in his right eye. I saw his beard, his teeth. A twinkle in his right eye, and he was smiling at me. And then it slowly broke up and faded away. And so, do you think I went home that night and told my husband, hi, honey, pass the potatoes. By the way, I saw Jesus in the clouds today. He, I know he would say, oh, my gosh. So I keep it all inside. I don't tell anybody. But I find out in about two weeks after that that I'm pregnant with my fourth child. And Drew and I have been trying for three years to have another child. Now I'm finally pregnant, and I'm thrilled mostly because I'm going to Medjugorje, where in 1981, Our Lady appeared to six small children. And her opening message to them was, I am the Queen of Peace, and I come to tell you that God exists. And you know, I think those are the two things I needed in my life. I needed to know for sure that God existed. And I needed peace in my life. I was all over that place. I loved it. But I think the most important thing that I experienced in Medjugorje was peace. And the peace is there because the people there live Mary's messages. She's asking us to do five things. None of them are against her church teachings. She wants us to pray every day. If you have a family, pray together as a family. Uh, she's recommending the rosary to us every day. She wants us to go to monthly confession I talked to a priest one time who said, unless you go to monthly confession, you really, really are having a hard time to grow spiritually. Confession is more than just saying your sins. You're coming into direct contact with Christ in that sacrament.
That's tremendous. Pray the rosary every day, monthly confession, fast, to give up something on Wednesdays and Fridays. I started fasting by just turning off my radio on Wednesdays and Fridays. Then I moved to the TV, and I realized how much noise we have constantly coming at us in our world. And we're not comfortable with our own thoughts, and we always have this background noise going. If we don't take that noise out of our life, we'll never hear Christ talk to us, and he talks to us. Ultimately, she wants us to fast on bread and water Wednesdays and Fridays. It's difficult. It's not something that you can do easily, and you don't do it immediately. You work up to it, and you pray for the grace to do it. She wants us to read the Bible. I think what she's showing us, if you do those things, what happens is you make Christ the very center of your life. And once Christ is the center of your life, you have an incredible peace that comes into you. And so I go home, and do you think I tell anybody anything? I don't tell my husband anything. I don't tell my friends anything. I keep it all inside because I think this is all for me. And we go on to have our fourth child, and I have a girl. And I think, oh my gosh, I have everything now because I have my faith, I have my girl, I have all those other things. I have everything. I am so blessed. And it was the best thing that happened to me. But we began to notice that there was something wrong with Kelly. She couldn't move. She couldn't lift her head, she couldn't move her arms, she couldn't move her legs. And we took her to doctor after doctor after doctor. I'm a doctor, my husband's a doctor. To not be able to be given an answer is so frustrating. Well, after about three to four months of searching, we find a doctor who does a blood test and calls us into her office. And she says, well, we have the news on Kelly and it's not good. Kelly has a disorder called spinal muscular atrophy. It's a genetic autosomal recessive disorder. Both you and your husband have to have it. One in 80 people carry this gene, and when they get together, only one in four of your pregnancies show this disorder. Well, I'm a trooper. I, I have never met a problem that I couldn't solve. And I said, fine, it's not good, but what's the treatment? There is no treatment and it's 100% fatal. To be told that your daughter is gonna die and there's nothing you can do about it is I think the worst pain you can feel. And so we went home that night and I went to my husband and I said, Drew, what we have in front of us is terrible. It will destroy us and it'll tear apart our family if we handle it alone or we can turn to God. And I truly believe at points in our life, God tries to get our attention. He puts things in our lives to try to draw us to him. And he wonders, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to go it alone, or are you going to ask me to help you? And I told him everything. I told him about seeing the face of Jesus in the clouds. I saw all the miracles I had experienced. And he looked at me, and he said, Cindy, why didn't you ever tell me any of this before? And I said, honestly, Drew? I thought you'd think I was crazy. I thought you'd leave me. And he said, I don't think you're crazy. I know you. I've been married to you for over 10 years. You're the mother of my children. I don't think you're crazy. Well, we went on to do everything for Kelly. We had prayer services. We had healing services. There's nothing a mother won't do to save her child, nothing. And there's nothing that Mary, our mother, won't do to try to get our attention. She's appeared to every generation in different apparitions. 
She's appeared almost 25 years now, every day, to get our attention, to show us how to live our lives, to make Jesus the center of our lives, to bring peace into our lives. She models to us. She's the perfect mother. I had started to change my life. We're all given a, a point in our lives where we know the reality of God. The question is, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to stay, stay comfortable and live your life and just say, yeah, I know about him like I always did? Or grasp onto it and radically change your lives? So I was praying the daily rosary. I was starting to go to Mass twice a week. I was trying to go to confession more. I was fasting. God's presence came into my life. I'm in this hospital room, and this medical student comes in and says, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. I thought he wanted to see my daughter. It's, it's not a common diagnosis. I said, look at Kelly. You'll never see another child like this again. And he said, oh, thank you, I have. But I, I came to talk to you. And I said, about what? This powerful message came into me. It didn't come through my ears. It, it's like it came into my soul or my heart. And it said, give him your rosary. And I didn't want to hear it. Because I finally had a rosary that was turning gold. And it meant everything to me. It meant that Mary and Jesus were with me in the suffering. They knew what I was going through. They were walking with me. I had that. It meant everything to me. And here's this voice telling me, give him your rosary. I did what we always do, right? You rationalize out. No, he couldn't mean that. This is for me. That must be Satan. <laughs> thought about it later. And I thought, yeah, Satan would want me to give somebody a rosary. That makes a lot of sense, Cindy. Yeah. No, I denied a man's soul over a stupid materialistic thing. I said no to my God. And I felt terrible. I was, uh, was awful. Finally, my rosary broke. My son was playing with it one day, and it broke. And I was so relieved because I could put it behind me and move on. So that night when I got my rosary out of my bedside table, I got a new rosary. I picked it up, and my heart stopped. Do you know every link of that rosary was gold? Every link. And I said, oh my God, I am so sorry. I get it. You will always give me what I need. I simply need to trust and follow you. I get it. I will never deny you again, ever. I will not. I will not deny you. That night, we all got together and prayed the rosary. All this is new to me. But I always wanted a message about my daughter, Kelly. I knew that they knew she existed and the suffering we were going through, but you know, when you're human, you just want to hear. You just need those things. And the very first message that night was, Look at Kelly. Do you see the joy that she has in her? She's happy because she has Jesus in her heart. And then later on, uh, the message was, bring Kelly to the middle of the room, and everybody gather around and lay your hands on her. And I thought, oh my God, this is it. She's going to be healed. This is it. And the message was, do you see the, the love that you look at Kelly with? It's the same way I see you. You see yourselves as old and worn out. I see you young and beautiful. I see you with just as much love, the same amount of love you look at with Kelly. There are many prayers for Kelly's healing. You need to pray that God's will is done in her life. And my heart sunk. So I'm flying home. I go to the airport. I cannot get a boarding pass. I've t they call in supervisors, other people. Nobody can give me a boarding pass. I don't really care. They tell me to come back right when they're boarding the plane. They'll get me on the seat, on the plane. I get on the plane, and I'm sitting next to a 
Navy SEAL, a young man about 20 years old, all dressed in Navy camouflage. And I, uh, I had spent nine years in the Navy, like I told you. I flew the Huey helicopter and the Cobra attack helicopter. I took care of a lot of Navy SEALs in my life, and I really admire the training that's required. It is so hard to become a Navy SEAL. Not many people make it. And I was telling him how much uh, I admired him when the same thing happened to me. This message came to me, only much quieter. If I hadn't taken the noise out of my life, I wouldn't have heard it. I placed him right beside you. Are you going to deny me? I said, no. I told you I won't deny you. I will not deny you. What do you need me to do? I need you to give him something. What? Your crucifix. And at that point in my life, I'd always worn a crucifix around my neck. So I took the crucifix off and I put it in my pocket because I said, yeah, right, I'm just going to give this to this guy. He's going to think I'm crazy. So I had figured out this plan where I'd wait till we landed the plane. When you're getting your luggage and you're stuck there, I'll give it to him then. He can take it, and I'd have given it to him. So I have this, and I'm, I'm not happy with that plan. And this anguish, anxiety comes into my body, and I just feel like I'm going to explode. And I realize I've got to give him that crucifix now, or I'm going to have zero peace for the rest of the flight, and it's a three-hour flight. And I'm thinking, oh, what am I going to do? And uh, all of a sudden, he just looks forward at me. And I, I realize that when you start doing things for God, it all just happens. It's just easy. He makes it easy for you. We make it hard. We just need to step out, step out in the deep. Put yourselves out just a little bit. And I'll be honest to you, when I heard this message, I thought, you know what? I'm not really sure what's going on in my head. I don't know what's going on with me. But I'm going to go with this. I'm going to find out what's going on. Whatever humiliating thing happens to me, I don't care. I've got to figure out what this is. So I'm stepping out into the deep. And he, and he looks at me and I said, do you believe in chance or do you believe in fate? Because I know we were supposed to be sitting next to each other. It all became clear to me why I couldn't get my boarding pass. I was supposed to sit next to that guy and God was working on it. And he goes, well, I believe in chance. And I said, I used to, but I don't believe anything happens without a reason anymore. And I know I'm supposed to be sitting next to you. You're going to think I'm crazy. Sometimes I get these messages. I'm supposed to give you something. Is it okay if I give it to you now? He said, sure, just like that. It was so easy. I hand him this crucifix. He looks at it, and he says, well, that's kind of crazy. My very worst fear, he realizes. And so I go, yeah, I know. And I was supposed to tell you something. It just comes out of my mouth. And my heart seizes. And I say, tell him something. You didn't say that. <laughs> you said give him something. I gave him something. And I'm thinking, what am I going to say to this guy? And all of a sudden, out of my mouth comes, I'm supposed to tell you that he loves you very much, and he does hear you. And his eyes filled with tears. He dropped his head in his hands. He gave a full-body sigh. And he looks at me, and he says, oh, my God, you have no idea what that means to me. Thank you for telling me that. And I looked at him, and I was still kind of like, I don't even know what's going on here. I said, you know that's not for me. I didn't say that. And he said, no, I know it's not from you. It couldn't be from you. But thank you for telling me that. You have no idea what that means to me. And I realized we just have to trust. And then once we open our lives to him, he'll use us. But we have to step out a little bit. So back to my life. Kelly goes on to go to the hospital one more time. Uh, she has to be put on tube feedings because she can no longer swallow. She gets to a point where uh, the doctors say there's nothing more we can do for her. 
You can leave her in the hospital and she'll die here, or you can take her home and she'll die at your house. And so we took her home and she had a beautiful death. She just kind of slipped away in my arms. And um, I learned so much from Kelly's life. She had such a profound effect on me. She only lived nine months, the same amount of time it takes for us to have a baby develop in us and give life. She gave life to me. She gave me the strength to commit. I knew God existed at that point in my life, but I'll be honest with you, I don't think I had the strength to commit to what she brought me to without her. I committed totally to Mary's messages, totally to prayer. She made me come out of myself, talk to my husband about my faith. She made me bring my faith into my family. Before Kelly, we didn't pray at all. We might say some rote prayers before meals, but it meant nothing. We pray every night as a family. We're vigilant about it. We don't let it slip. Prayer is so powerful. I read a book where if you visualize, you're saying prayers together, visualize a string being placed between all of your hearts, knitting you so close together that when something happens in your life, in your family, when the struggles come, there's nothing that can tear you apart. You have that bond of strength amongst you. And I look at my family and my children, and they've lived the death of one daughter, Kelly, and my daughter, Sarah, and they're pretty normal kids. And the only explanation for it is that we have the presence of Christ through prayer in our lives. You have to pray every day, and you have to be vigilant about it. It's not always easy. There's a lot of times you say, I don't really feel like it. It's not doing anything for me. It's the commitment. I really think it's the commitment that means so much. Kelly taught me the value of life. We heard about uh, the woman who prayed the rosary all the time. I'll be honest with you, as a physician, I would see disabled children, and I would say, oh my gosh, how terrible, how awful. It's terrible that they were even born. I don't say that anymore. I know now the value of life. All life has value. All life is good. And the value of a life is not based on how long it lives, the quality that it's in, or what it produces. The value of a life is measured by the amount of love it brings forth. That's all it is. Kelly had a tremendous effect on my life, on my family's life, on my parish's life, on my friend's life. She brought forth more love than I ever would in my life before. Her life had tremendous value. And once you realize that, you'll never be able to look at another life, whether it's in the form of an embryo, or whether it's the form of a person in a vegetative state in the hospital and not realize its value. I look at the life of Terry Schiavo, and I say that life had tremendous value. She brought God into so many people's lives. We have no idea. She confronted them with the issue head on. So many people stopped their lives and thought because of the life of Terry Schiavo. I read an article once by a man, a priest called Father Sudats from Croatia. He wrote an article that said, when you die and you go to heaven and Jesus is looking at you with those human eyes and it's only you and him in the room, there's nobody else around, you're one-on-one -on -one with Christ and he asks you as he's looking into your eyes, who are you? What are you going to say? Before Kelly, I would never would have thought anything of that. I would have read it and put it to the side. But when you're looking at your daughter every day in her eyes and you don't know if it's the last day you have with her, no other answer than, you know, is Christ real or not? You come, you have to answer that question. Is it real? Is this real? And then you come to questions like, who am I and what is this all about? 
So when I read this question, what am I going to say when Christ looks at me and says, who are you? I took it very seriously, and I prayed over it for a long time. And I thought, there's a lot of things you could say. You could say your name, but he knows your name. He could say your profession. That's your profession. It's not really who you are. You can say you're a mother. I think that's tremendous. Being a mother is unbelievably important. We have no idea of the importance of motherhood, really. It's so important. What is it about you that's unique? What is it about you to him? And I realized what he's asking you is, does he know you? Do you pray to him? Does he know the deepest desires of your heart? Are you his best friend? And I thought, you know what I really want to say to him? I want to say to him, I am the servant of your love. I have spent my whole life doing things because I love you, only because of the love. And I want him to look back at me and say, yes, you have spent your life doing things for me because you love me, and you've accepted things I've placed in your life, graces like the gifts of Kelly and Sarah. You haven't taken those gifts out of your life, and you've shined my love to everyone else. That's what I want him to say to me. I never would have spent the time thinking about it if I didn't go through the life of Kelly. She had tremendous value. Well, what about Sarah? I know most people think, how could you go on to have another child? How could you do that? You're a physician. You know you carry that disorder. There's a one in four chance you'll have another child like that. How could you have another child? When Kelly was five months old, I had that same thought. What are we going to do? So I went to my husband, and we decided to go to a priest and ask him. Because at that point, I had embraced the teachings of the Catholic Church. I'm not saying I understood them all at that time. But I do know that the church is out there to protect our souls and to help us live our lives in this world and not to endanger our souls. And if the church tells me not to use contraception, I won't do it. But at the same time, I'm carrying this disorder, and I really don't know what to do. So I go to this priest, and he says, the church is not going to tell you not to have any more children. We would never do that, which I thought was a pretty fair answer. But at the same time, we didn't have an answer. And so we're thinking, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? when I get a letter in the mail. And I pick it up, and it's from this man that I met in Medjugorje, the third time I've heard from him. He has no idea what I'm thinking. He has no idea what I'm going through. And I open the letter, and it says, Dear Cindy, Our Lady came and gave this message for you at 3 a.m. on May 22, 2002. Hope it all means something to you. Only you and her know what your heart needs to know. And this is the message that he wrote me. My daughter, don't let your womb grow cold. Kelly is a gift that is yours in my heart, combined with God's love. My daughter, keep focused on Jesus and our love for you and your family. Don't be afraid. I am with you, my child. My mantle of protection is covering you and your family. Keep placing our hearts together. They will become one in total love of Jesus. Feel the people that are in our hearts combined with my son. Nothing is impossible, my daughter. Pray, pray, pray. Love, mom. So I take this to my husband, and I said, Hey, Drew, I just got a letter from Mary. Do you want to hear it? <laughs> and he goes, Sure. So I read it to him, and I said, What do you want to do? And he said, uh, We need to have another child. And I said, are you sure? And he said, that's what we're being asked to do. 
So we said, okay. And I knew when I was carrying that child that she would have the same diagnosis. I knew it. But I wanted to hear that, that it wouldn't happen. I wanted to believe it wouldn't happen. I wanted to think it was just a gift, and that was a gift. And then I, I went to my doctor, and he said, okay, um, your amnio is scheduled for this time. Go ahead and sign up for a down then. And I said, no. And then the whole clinic's like, stops. Because, you know, you're just supposed to do what they say. He goes, you don't want to have an amnio? I said, I've never had an amnio. I don't want an amnio. And he goes, oh. I said, it doesn't matter what the, what the child has. It doesn't matter. Perfection is not what I'm going for. I'm going to have this baby. And I think if I could tell the mothers here, you need to talk to your daughters and tell them. Just because a doctor tells you to go schedule a test doesn't mean you should do it. You need to think it ahead of time before it happens. In my medical school, I had come across a case where a child lost an eye because there was an amniocentesis done, the needle went into the baby's eye and destroyed the eye. I made a decision right when I heard that I would never have an amnio. And it made me think, if you're going to have an amniocentesis, you need to know what you're going to do with the information because there's a risk to any procedure. <laughs> there are certain reasons to have the amnio. I'm not going to say there's not. I have a very dear friend who uh, had a baby. Something in her heart told her to have an amnio. She'd never had one before. She got it, found out that her baby would not be able to survive. But it allowed her to have the time to bond with that baby during her pregnancy. So when the baby was born, stillborn, she had loved that child. She had been with that child. So just know, if you're going to have a test, why you're going to have a test, talk to your children. Explain to them what's going on. Don't just leave it up to the physicians. I'm supposed to have an ultrasound. If I'm not going to have the amnio, then I have to have an ultrasound. So I go, and I said, fine. I want to see what the baby looks like anyway. So I go have the ultrasound. And you can hear all the whisperings. You know, she had a baby that, that died. You know. and so I get pulled into this doctor's office, and I'm sat down. And he says, you need to know that we can give you information, then, and then you can decide. I said, I don't need to decide. You need to know. You need to know we have the technology. We can help you here. We can give you information. How would you get that information? We would take a needle. We'd not go in, into the sac. We'd have to go into the baby itself, take the blood out of the baby, analyze the blood, and then we'd give you the results, and then you would know. And I said, and then what would I would do with that? What would I do with that? Well, what's the risk to that procedure? The risk, well, you'd use the risk of miscarriage up to 15%. Oh, my gosh. I go, you know, you're telling me what I need to know. You need to know something. You need to know I'm going to have this child. And I'll never forget what he said. He just leaned back in his chair and he said, you mean you're going to have this baby no matter what? I said, absolutely. And he goes, oh, I guess we don't need to talk to you anymore. But then he looked at me and he said something which I'll never understand. He said, I want you to know I know exactly how you feel. I don't know what he meant by that. And I go, he goes, I, I have three children of my own. And I thought to myself, you don't know how I feel. You have no idea how I feel. You have three children of your own, yes, but you're often people the choice. I would never do that. You have no idea how I feel. We go on to have the baby. And she has a diagnosis. And when I got the diagnosis, I felt like I was just punched in the gut. I said, why? Why? Why would you do this to me? I've spoken to so many people about my faith. I have families praying together with their children now. They realize they may not have all the time they think of with their children. They need to start now forming them, praying with them. 
why? I said, but you know, I don't need to know why. You have some reason for this. I do trust you, but I do need one thing right now. I'm only human. I need to know that this is your will. I need to know this is your will. So I went straight to the tabernacle in front of the sacrament, and I had a book with me called I Am Your Jesus of Mercy. And I said, please, if there's something in here that lets me know this is part of your plan, that this is your will, let me open to it now. And so I opened the book randomly, and this is what I found, and I'll read it to you. It says, my dear little children, praise be Jesus. Little ones, please do not be afraid or confused. My plan for you is great. It is one of joy and freedom. Unite in me in prayer for my plan. Only God visualizes the plan in its entirety, and you little children must remain dependent on him, trusting in his divine will. As God's will unfolds daily, please do not be sad or confused when you realize his will may not be what you have planned. Remain open and accept his plan for you with unconditional love. God's works are wondrous. So I shut the book and I said, thank you. You wanted this child in this world. There's some purpose for this child. I trust you. I accept. And I'm, and I'm in prayer and I hear, I'm supposed to go on retreat with this Father Sudat. And I said, no, I'm too tired. I've given birth to two children in 14 months. I've buried one. I'm looking forward to burying another one and I'm tired. I can't go. And I hear, you're not gonna deny me, are you? So I say, fine, I'll go. And I went, and I'm in a funny place in my life because at this point, through the short life of Kelly and through expecting the death of my daughter, Sarah, I realize that death is a gift. Why we're so afraid of it, I'm not so sure. Because without dying, we could never go to be with God, and that is our destiny. That's why we're here, is to grow in love so that we can be happy with him in the next world. And my daughter Kelly's made it, and, and Sarah will be there too, and that's all that I could ever ask for my children. If you ask me now, the one thing I want for my children is that they go to heaven. And I've been given that gift. It hurts, but the knowledge that they're there and going to be there soon is tremendously comforting. And so I'm okay with it. And I go on this retreat, and all I hear about is healing, 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 healing. And he goes all into detail about why isn't there so many miracles as there were in the time of the apostles. And he says it's, not beca it's because there's not the faith there used to be. There's not the faith. And if you want a miracle, you prepare. You sacrifice, you fast, you pray, and when you ask, you ask with your entire heart. You hold nothing back. You leave no room for doubt. And then you immediately begin giving thanks. And you thank him every day from that point forward, whether it takes two weeks or 15 years. And he gave two examples. One woman who for 15 years was in a wheelchair, every day of her life said, thank you, Jesus, for healing me. And one day she got up, 15 years later, out of her wheelchair and was healed. So I'm thinking, you know, in my heart, I feel that Kelly is not meant to live. And yet, I don't know why I've been asked to go on this retreat, and I'm hearing healing. So if this is what I'm supposed to do, I'll go for it. I had just come off a tremendous fast. I'm on retreat. I can't do any more praying than I'm doing right now. I'm going to go straight for the asking. And so I asked with all of my heart, and I held nothing back, and I left no room for doubt. And I prayed for Sarah's healing. And I went home, and my daughter was better. She could hold up her head. She could move her arms and her legs. She's still weak, but she was dramatically better. She could even, she was always on formula, and now she was eating baby food. She was great, and for six months, she kept getting a little stronger, a little stronger. And it was the best six months we ever had. I thought she was healed for good. 
And then she slowly got weak again. And she followed the same course of her sister. She went in the hospital twice, had to be put on tube feedings, and died in my arms at home. And I was confused. I said, why? Why did you ask me to go on this retreat? Why did you have me hear, hear about healing? Thank you for the six months, it was tremendous. Thank you, but why? And I went to the tabernacle and I heard, have I, have I failed you? How have I failed you? I have answered every true prayer of your heart. And I thought, what are the true prayers in my heart? I knew what they were right away. And I don't think they're any different than any true prayer of your hearts out there. In my heart, I wanted the faith of my husband. Through the short life of Kelly, my first daughter, my faith was rock solid. Drew was knocked on the head, but he wasn't totally committed. And he'll admit to you he wasn't. Through Sarah, he totally committed. Totally committed. Sarah's life brought my, my husband's faith. That's an answer to true prayer. And to show you the depth of my husband's faith, I'll read you a letter that he used, he used to write letters to um, my daughters during their short life. And this is one of the letters he wrote. My dear Sarah, I know that my unconditional love for you is very great, but I know it is only a fraction of God's unconditional love for us. And to know that he has you in his arms is very comforting. Mommy and I completely trust God and surrender ourselves to his will. I can say to you, my dear Sarah, that God's will is based solely on unconditional love and a plan that is in all rights divine and to bring joy to all of our lives in the end. I don't question God's methods, and at the same time, I completely trust in his methods for you, Sarah. Having God as your physician is very comforting and continues to breathe energy into us all. My husband wrote that. I now have people coming up to me and they ask, was it hard for your husband to discern between uh, becoming a priest or married life? And I just think, this is, this is us who would try to get out of going to church on Sunday, you know, saying, well, we work so hard, you know. Um, but I have that. And then what about my children? My oldest son, Drew, is now 12. When he was 11, and he's always done this his whole life, he'll sit down and he'll write prayers, and I'll just find him in the house. Someday I'm going to put them together in a book. But he has a tremendous heart. He had a writing assignment at school last year, and this is what he turned in, and I'll read it to you. Everybody at school is saying, did you, did you see what your son wrote? And I hadn't seen it yet, and this is what he found. The assignment is to write about your hero. My hero is my father, my spiritual father. I can always look up to God, and he has gifted my family with two beautiful baby girls who have touched my heart. Their names are Kelly and Sarah. God sent those babies to change my life and to change many families' lives. I can and do talk to God at night with my family. When I want or need something, I pray to God to see what is best for me. When I am hurt or sad, I pray to him. God protects me and is always with me. He is inside everyone's heart and will be a hero to anyone who calls upon his name. God is great because he has given me life on earth. 
He even sent his only son to die on the cross so our sins would be forgiven and we could go to heaven. It is very simple to go to heaven. Jesus did all that for us, so all we have to do is believe and follow his example, and we will join him, God, our Father, and my sisters in heaven. My son wrote that. And I know it's because we have chosen to change our lives. We have changed from being a family that was living for the world to a family that lives for Christ at the center of our lives. We pray every single night together. We don't let it slip. It's so easy to say, I'm too tired. If one of our children is sleeping or something happens, we just gather around and we, and we pray around him. Don't take prayer out of your life. We also uh, have put crucifixes in every one of their bedrooms. We've had our house blessed. I can't tell you the tremendous grace of having your house blessed. If you haven't had your house blessed, please do so. It brings a tremendous peace into your life. People come to my home all the time and they say, your house is so peaceful. It's because there's the presence of God there. We reviewed the Sunday Gospel every week. I heard this on a tape by Matthew Kelly. I love Matthew Kelly. He said to do this, to set time aside with your family, review the Gospel so that when you're all sitting in church and there's per persons next to you screaming, crying, kicking, dropping Cheerios, whatever they're doing, you've already read the Gospel. You know what it's about so you can focus in on what the priest says. You can get something out of it. What we try to do is we review it and then we'll have each child say, what is the one line or the one word that speaks to you? And have them elaborate a little bit on what they think. It's a great way to bring out the teachings of Christ and your catechism on a weekly basis with your children. It helps form them. That would be such an awesome thing if people did that. And my children love it. That You think they say, oh, no, not again. They love it. They think it's great. It's all how you present it. We, I take my children to confession. I take them at least every three months to go to confession. I let them see me going to confession. I let them find me in prayer. I think if I could tell you one thing, what I've learned out of all of this, the value of motherhood, and to think about what are you doing to lead your children to heaven? What are you doing? Because when you sit there and you realize you may not have all the time you think you have with them, and you sit and you wonder, what is it that I really want out of life? To be successful in the world? Not anymore for me. I don't really care if they're successful in the world. I do care if they end up in heaven. Ultimately, it's their choice. But I can lead them in a certain way. I can show them the way to live, much like Mary has shown us the way to live. How do you get your children to go to heaven or want to desire to go to heaven? They have to become people of prayer. How do you make them people to prayer? You have to be a person of prayer. Your children will only do what they see you doing. You can tell them anything you want, but if you don't do it, they know you don't believe it. If you show them in your lives what's important to you, the quest for beauty, the quest, the quest for the perfect body, the quest for materialism, the quest for your career, that's what they're going to want out of life. Is that what you want for your children? A lot of people will come up to me and they'll say, Cindy, where are you practicing now? And I say, I don't practice anymore. These two girls taught me a very important lesson. My vocation is motherhood. I loved practicing medicine. You have no idea how much I love that. I spent a tremendous amount of my life preparing for that. And I wouldn't change any bit of that, not one bit. 
I loved what I did, that's great. I don't know if I'll end up going back into it or not, but right now I need to be at home. I can make that choice because I can do that. There are certain women I know that financially and for other reasons have to work, and God understands that. But I think we need to, to refocus on motherhood and say, what is this really truly all about? What is this world all about? If you're working, why are you working? If you're working, who's taking care of your children? Who's forming them? Who's showing them the way to get to heaven? The television? Matthew Kelly, in his tape, he has a great tape on spiritual family life. He says, turn off your televisions. I turned off my television in my house. He says, turn it off for a month. We did it for a month. We unplugged all the televisions. I can't tell you how many times my kids would come up to me, Mom, the TV doesn't work. <laughs> I said, I know. I can't figure it out. And so, uh, but for one month, we didn't watch television. And you know what? We got our family back. It was amazing. For two weeks, it was tremendously hard. I'm not going to say it was easy. You know, you, you find yourself, kids will come to you, I don't have anything to do. Watch, uh, um... You don't realize how much you rely on that. And what is coming through the television is not good for our children. There's some really good programs out there. I don't want to say that. There are really good programs. But the majority of it is not all so great. And I think what the television does really is it robs us of our family time. It robs us of our time to develop relationships, to grow from one another, to find out what's truly in your heart, and to develop a true, true relationship. So I would encourage you that. I'll leave you with three things. One is prayer. Don't, let, don't neglect prayer. It's so important. It's the foundation of everything. If you commit to prayer, God will show you where to go from there. He will lead you from there. Start with prayer and stay with prayer, even when you don't feel like it. Mary says, pray until pray, till joy, prayer becomes a joy for you. And I'll admit, when I first started praying, I couldn't remember how to say the Our Father. It was tremendously hard for me. I didn't just start saying the rosary every day. I would start a little bit at a time and build up upon it. But I committed to it, and I didn't let it slip. And if you commit, tremendous things will happen in your life. And God will let his presence known in whatever way you need to have it be known to you. The second is your family. Ask yourselves, where do you want your family to be? Your spouse, your children, your loved ones, your friends. Where do you want them to end up when it's all said and done? And what are you doing to lead them that way? How are you modeling to them? Do they find you in prayer? Do you take them to confession? Do you watch what they're watching on TV? They watch what you watch. They see you watching it. They think, oh, it's fun. It's great. That's what my mom does. That's what my dad does. That's great. You model to them constantly. Watch what you're doing. And the last and most important thing is the gifts. Don't take the gifts out of your life that God places there. Only he knows why he puts them in your life. I truly believe that God only wants one thing out of you, and that is to become the person that he envisioned you to be when he created you. And he will send you gifts along the way to help keep you on that path. I was completely off the path. And he sent me two little girls, two gifts, to help me get back on that path. I'm not the only one who's had a cross in their life. Every single one of you has a cross in your life. My cross was the death of two children. But I accepted those gifts, I prayed to understand why those gifts were put into my life. Pray to understand why that cross was put into your life. Pray to have it taken out. I think that's very healthy. Pray to have it taken out. But if it's not taken out of your life, ask to understand what are the graces that you need to get 
from having that cross in your life and embrace it. And in the end, you'll be as I, as I am. Every day, you'll thank God for putting that cross in your life, and you'll call your cross gifts and graces. I thank God every day for the lives of Kelly and Sarah. Thank you for your time. Now that we have listened to Dr. Cindy Peterson's testimony, let us recognize the need for each of us to help one another, to speak of God's action in our lives, to sing together, to pray together, to cry together, to share our Catholic faith, which will strengthen us for whatever lies ahead in our life journey. It isn't easy to share so deeply, and we thank Dr. Cindy Peterson for truly proclaiming his marvelous deeds. In keeping with today's presentation, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Well, we certainly hope you have enjoyed the program. And for more information or a copy of today's broadcast, please write us at Magnificat Proclaims, P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, 92859. Once again, Magnificat Proclaims, P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, zip code 92859. And for some of you, it might be easier to call. So feel free to call us at 800-500-4556. If you would like to have more information about the Magnificat ministry, including a location of a Magnificat chapter in your area, you can call 504-828-MARY. That's 504-828-MARY. Or visit the Magnificat website at www.magnificat-ministry.org. On behalf of Magnificat Proclaims, this is Donna Ross inviting you to join us next time as we present more personal testimonies from our inspirational Catholic speakers. Remember, Magnificat Proclaims, the greatness of the Lord. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you in his peace.